Section 6 of Amusement Only. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Roeg 11. Amusement Only by Richard Marsh. The Strange Occurrences in Canterston Jail. Chapter 3. THE SINGULAR BEHAVIOR OF THE PRISON OFFICIALS Although Mankell was ushered in by the chief warder, he was in actual charge of Warder Slater. The apartment into which he was shown was not that in which prisoners ordinarily interviewed the governor. There a cord stretched from wall to wall divided the room nearly in half. On one side stood the prisoner, with the officer in charge of him, on the other sat the governor. Here there was no cord. The room, which was a small one, contained a single table. At one end sat Mr. Paley. On his right sat Major Hardinge. The chaplain stood at his left, and just behind the major sat Dr. Livermore. Mankell was told to stand at the end which faced the governor. A momentary pause followed his entrance, all four pairs of eyes were examining his countenance. He, for his part, bore himself quite easily, his eyes being fixed upon the governor, and about the corners of his lips hovered what was certainly more than the suspicion of a smile. "'I have sent for you,' Mr. Paley began, "'because I wish to ask you a question. You understand that I make no charge against you, but... Do you know who has been tampering with the locks of the cells? The smile was unmistakable now. It lightened up his saturnine visage, suggesting that here was a man who had an eye, possibly almost too keen an eye, for the ridiculous. But he gave no answer. Did you hear my question, Mankell? Do you know who has been tampering with the locks of the cells? Mankell extended his hands with a little graceful gesture which smacked of more southern climes. How shall I tell you? Tell the truth, sir, and don't treat any of us to your highfalutin. This remark came from the major, not in too amiable a tone of voice. But in this land it would seem that truth is a thing that wise men shun. It is for telling the truth that I am here. We don't want any of your insolence, my man. Answer the governor's question if you don't want to be severely punished. Do you know who has been playing hanky-panky with the cells? Spirits of the air. As he said this, Mankell inclined his head and looked at the major with laughter in his eyes. Spirits of the air? What the devil do you mean by spirits of the air? Ah, uh, what do I mean? To tell you that, laying stress upon the pronoun, would take a year. The fellow's an insolent scoundrel, sputtered the major. Come, Mankell, that won't do, stuck in Mr. Paley. Do I understand you to say that you do know something about the matter? No. The man drew himself up, 
laying the index finger of his right hand upon the table with a curiously impressive air what is there that i do not know i see you still pretend then to the possession of magic powers pretend mankell laughed he stretched out his hands in front of him with what seemed to be his favorite gesture and laughed in the face of the authorities suppose you give us an example of your powers the suggestion came from the doctor the major exploded don't talk stuff and nonsense give the man three days bread and water that is what he wants you do not believe in magic then mankell turned to the major with his laughing eyes what's it matter to you what i believe you may take my word for it that i don't believe in impudent mountebanks like you the only reply mankell gave was to raise his hand if that might be called a reply in a way that we sometimes do when we call for silence and there was silence in the room all eyes were fixed upon the prisoner he looked each in turn steadily in the face then still serenely smiling he gently murmured if you please there was a silence but only for a moment it was broken by warder slater that usually decorous officer tilted his cap to the back of his head and thrust his hands into his breeches pockets hardly the regulation attitude in the presence of superiors i should bloomin well like to know what that means here i have been here in this jail eleven years and i've never been accused before of letting men out of their night cells let alone their beds and bedding and i don't like it so i tell you straight the chief warder turned with automatic suddenness towards the unexpectedly unusually plain-spoken officer slater you're a fool i'm not the only one in the place there's more fools here besides me and some of them bigger ones as well while these compliments were being exchanged the higher official sat mutely looking on when the chief warder seemed to be at a loss for an answer the chaplain volunteered a remark he addressed himself to warder slater it's my opinion that the governor's a bigger fool than you are and that the inspector's a still bigger fool than he is it's my belief mr hewitt observed the doctor that you're the biggest fool of all it would serve him right remarked the governor quietly if somebody were to knock him down knock him down i should think it would and kick him too as he said this, the Major glared at the chaplain with threatening eyes. There was silence again, broken by Warder Slater taking off his cap and then his tunic, which he folded up carefully and placed upon the floor, and, turning his shirt-sleeves up above his elbows, revealing as he did so a pair of really gigantic arms if any man says i let them out of the cells i'm ready to fight that man either for a gallon of beer or nothing i don't care if it's the inspector or who it is i suspect 
declared the chaplain, that the inspector's too great a coward to take you on. But if he does, I'm willing to back Slater for half a crown. I'm even prepared to second him. Putting his hands under his coattails, the chaplain looked up at the ceiling with a resolute air. If you do fight, Slater, Hardinge, I should certainly commence by giving the chaplain a punch in the eye. So saying, the governor leaned back in his chair and began drumming on the table with the tips of his fingers. The doctor rose from his seat. He gave the inspector a hearty slap on the back. Give him beans, he cried. You ought to be able to knock an overfed animal like Slater into the middle of next week before he's counted five. I've no quarrel with Slater, the inspector growled, and I've no intention of fighting him. But as the chaplain seems to be so anxious for a row, I'll fight him with the greatest pleasure. If there's going to be any fighting, interposed the chief warder, don't you think I'd better get a couple of sponges and a pail of water? Don't. I don't know about the sponges, said the governor. I don't fancy you will find any just at hand, but you might get a pail of water, I think. The chief warder left the room. I'm not a fighting man, the chaplain announced. In any case, I should decline to soil my hands by touching such an ill-mannered ruffian as Major Hardinge. I say, exclaimed the doctor, Hardinge, you're not going to stand that. The major sprang from his seat, tore off his coat, and flung it to the ground with considerably less care than Warder Slater had done. He strode up to the chaplain. Beg my pardon or take a licking. The major clenched his fist. He assumed an attitude which, if not exactly reminiscent of the pets of the fancy, was at least intended to be pugilistic. The chaplain did not finch. You dare to lay a finger on me, you bullying blackguard? The major did dare. He struck out, if not with considerable science, at any rate with considerable execution. The chaplain went down like a log. At that moment the chief warder entered the room. He had a pail of water in his hand. For some reason, which was not altogether plain, he threw its contents upon the chaplain as he lay on the floor. While these, considering the persons engaged, somewhat irregular proceedings had been taking place, Mankell remained motionless, his hand upraised, still with that smile upon his face. Now he lowered his hand. Thank you very much, he said. There was silence, a tolerably prolonged silence. While it lasted, a change seemed to be passing over the chief actors in the scene. They seemed to be waking, with more or less rapidity, to the fact that a certain incongruity characterized their actions and their language. There stood Warder Slater, apparently surprised and overwhelmed at the discovery that his hat and coat were off, and his shirt-sleeves tucked up above his elbows. The chief warder, with the empty pail in his hand, presented a really ludicrous picture of amazement. He seemed quite unable to realize the fact that he had thrown the contents over the chaplain. 
the inspector's surprise appeared to be no less on finding that in his pugilistic ardor he had torn off his coat and knocked the chaplain down the doctor supporting him in the rear seemed to be taken a little aback the governor smoothing his hair with his hand seemed to be in a hopeless mist it was the chaplain who rose from the floor with his handkerchief to his nose who brought it home to them that the scene which had just transpired had not been the grotesque imaginings of some waking dream i call you to witness that major hardinge has struck me to the ground and the chief warder has thrown on me a pail of water what conduct may be expected from ignorant criminals when such is the behavior of those who are in charge of them must be left for others to judge they looked at one another their feelings were momentarily too deep for words i think suggested the governor in a quavering intonation i think that this man had better be taken away warder slater picked up his hat and coat and left the room mankell walking quietly beside him mr murray followed after seeming particularly anxious to conceal the presence of the pail mr hewitt still staunching the blood which flowed from his nose fixed his eyes on the inspector major hardinge if twenty-four hours after this you are still an inspector of prisons all england shall ring with your shame behind bureaucracy above it is the english press the chaplain moved toward the door on the threshold he paused as for the chief warder i shall commence by indicting him for assault he took another step and paused again nor shall i forget that the governor aided and abetted the inspector and that the doctor egged him on then the chaplain disappeared his disappearance was followed by what might be described as an abject silence the governor eyed his colleagues furtively at last he stammered out a question well major what do you think of this the major sank into a chair expressing his thoughts by a gasp mr paley turned his attention to the doctor what do you say doctor i say i i say nothing i suppose murmured the major in what seemed to be the ghost of his natural voice that i did knock him down the doctor seemed to have something to say on that point at any rate knock him down i should think you did like a log of wood the major glanced at the governor mr paley shook his head the major groaned the governor began to be a little agitated something must be done it is out of the question that such a scandal should be allowed to go out into the world i do not hesitate to say that if the chaplain sends in to the commissioners the report which he threatens to send the situation will be to the last degree unpleasant for all of us the point is observed the doctor are we collectively and individually subject to periodical attacks of temporary insanity 
speaking for myself, I should say certainly not. Dr. Livermore turned on the governor. Then perhaps you will suggest a hypothesis which will reasonably account for what has just occurred. The governor was silent. Unless you are prepared to seek for a cause in the regions of phenomena. Supposing, murmured the major, there is such a thing as witchcraft after all. We should have the Psychical Research Society down on us if we had nobody else, if we appended our names to a confession of faith. The doctor thrust his thumbs into his waistcoat armholes, and I should lose every patient I have. There was a tapping at the door. In response to the governor's invitation, the chief warder entered. In general, there was in Mr. Murray's bearing a not distant suggestion of an inflated bantam cock or powder pigeon. It was curious to observe how anything in the shape of inflation was absent now. He touched his hat to the governor, his honest, rubicund, somewhat pugnacious face, eloquent of the weight that was on his mind. Excuse me, sir. I said he was a witch. You're saying that he was a witch or wizard, remarked the governor dryly will not, I fear, be sufficient excuse in the eyes of the commissioners for your throwing a pail of water over the chaplain. But a man's not answerable for what he does when he's bewitched, persisted the chief warder with characteristic sturdiness. It is exactly that reflection which has constrained me to return. They looked up. There was the chaplain standing in the doorway, still with his handkerchief to his nose. Mr. Murray, you threw a pail of water over me. If you assert that you did it under the influence of witchcraft, I, who have myself been under a spell, am willing to excuse you. Mr. Hewitt, sir, you yourself know I was bewitched. I do, as I believe it of myself. Murray, Give me your hand. The chaplain and the chief warder solemnly shook hands. There is an end of the matter as it concerns us two. Major Hardinge, do I understand you to assert that you too were under the influence of witchcraft? This was a rather delicate inquiry to address to the major. Apparently the major seemed to find it so. I don't know about witchcraft he growled, but I am prepared to take my oath in any court in England that I had no more intention of striking you than I had of striking the moon. That is sufficient, Major Hartage. I forgive you from my heart. Perhaps you too will take my hand. The Major took it rather awkwardly, much more awkwardly than the Chief Warder had done. When the chaplain relinquished it, he turned aside, and, picking up his coat, began to put it on, scarcely with that air of dignity which is proper to a prison inspector. "'I presume,' continued Mr. Hewitt, "'that we all allow that what has occurred has been owing to the malign influence of that man Oliver Mankell.' There was silence. Apparently, they did not all allow it even yet. It was a pill to swallow. Hypnotism, 
muttered the doctor, half aside. Hypnotism. I believe that word simply expresses some sort of mesmeric power, hardly a sufficient explanation in the present case. I would suggest, Major Hardinge, interposed the governor, all theorizing aside, that the man be transformed to another prison at the earliest possible moment. He shall be transferred tomorrow, affirmed the major. If there is anything in Mr. Hewitt's suggestion, the fellow shall have a chance to prove it in some other jail. Oh, good Lord, go! He's killing me! Help! Hardage, exclaimed the doctor. What's the matter now? There seemed to be something the matter. The major had been delivering himself in his most pompously official manner. Suddenly he put his hands to the pit of his stomach and began to cry out as if in an ecstasy of pain, his official manner altogether gone. He'll murder me! I know he will! Murder you? Who? Manko! Oddly enough, I too was conscious of a very curious sensation. As he said this, the governor wiped the cold dew of perspiration from his brow. He seemed unnaturally white. As he adjusted his spectacles, there was an odd, tremulous appearance about his eyes. It was because you spoke of transferring him to some other jail. The chaplain's tone was solemn. He dislikes the idea of being trifled with. The major resented the suggestion. Trifled with? He seems uncommonly fond of trifling with other people. Confound the man. Oh! The major sprang from the floor with an exclamation which amounted to a positive yell. They looked each other in the face. Each man seemed a little paler than his wont. Something must be done, the governor gasped. The chaplain made a proposition. I propose that we summon him into our presence and inquire of him what he wishes us to do. The proposition was not received with acclamation. They probably felt that a certain amount of complication might be expected to ensue if such inquiries began to be addressed to prisoners. I think I'll go my rounds, observed the doctor. This matter scarcely concerns me. I wish you gentlemen well out of it. He reached out his hand to take his hat, which he had placed upon a chair. As he did so, the hat disappeared, and a small brown terrier dog appeared in its place. The dog barked viciously at the outstretched hand. The doctor started back just in time to escape its teeth. The dog disappeared. There was the hat again. The appearance was but momentary, but it was nonetheless suggestive on that account. The doctor seemed particularly affected. We must all have been drinking if we are taking to seeing things, he cried. I think, suggested the chaplain almost in a whisper, that we had better inquire what it is he wishes us to do. There was silence. We, we all have clear consciences. There, there is no reason why we should be afraid. 
we're we're not afraid gasped the governor i i don't think you are entitled to infer such a thing the major stammeringly supported him oh of course we we're, we're not afraid the the idea is preposterously absurd still said the doctor a man doesn't care to have hanky-panky tricks played with his top hat there was a pause of considerable duration it was again broken by the chaplain don't you think mr paley that we had better send for this man apparently mr paley did murray he said go and see that he is sent here mr murray went not too willingly still he went the end of chapter three of the strange occurrences in canterston jail